Greetings, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call, and sometimes resort towns aren't what they're cracked up to be, but it'll get better, it'll get better. Hey, don't forget to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter, and the Instagram, and of course the Facebook page, which can be found over at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Here's an interesting trivia item for ye. These two performers both died at the age of 32, but four years apart in 1974 and 1978. They died in the same apartment, which was owned by the same person who was himself a famous person. Who are the performers and who owned the apartment in which they died? I will have the answer for you near the end of the program. The Stone Ponies was a band that formed in the mid-1960s. Linda Ronstadt had moved to Los Angeles in 1964 to join guitarist Bobby Kimmel and form a band. In a 1975 interview with Rolling Stone magazine, Ronstadt said that Kimmel's vision involved five people, including an auto harp and a girl singer. And they were all kinds of unique, except that Jefferson Airplane and the Love and Spoonful kind of got there first. They pared the band down to three people, and they took on the name The Stone Ponies, which, although spelled differently, comes from Charlie Patton's song from 1929 called The Stone Pony Blues. And now you know what you've been listening to for the past minute or so. It was in 1965 that the band was discovered by some music industry executives while they were rehearsing at an Ocean Park restaurant called Olivia's. They recorded a few songs, including this one, a cover of the Fiesta's song, So Fine. They picked up some attention on the club circuit in Los Angeles, but not much else happened for them. One night, their manager made a point of telling the group that, quote, I can get your chick singer recorded, but I don't know about the rest of the group. They actually broke up briefly after that, but they reformed and they managed to get a contract with Capitol Records in 1966. Again, the label wanted Ronstadt as a solo, but ultimately they were convinced that she wasn't really ready for that. The Stone Ponies became the first act in Capitol's folk rock stable. The Stone Ponies' first album was more folk than rock, and Ronstadt herself is kind of understated, but they moved into a little bit more of a rock sound with their second album, which is where their breakout hit appeared. Now, once in a while, I will do a song about songs you probably didn't know were covers, and believe it or not, this is one of them. Different Drum was written in 1964 or 1965, the accounts differ on this one, by Michael Nesmith, one of the Monkees. Nesmith was a friend of John Harold the guitarist for a bluegrass band called the Greenbrier Boys, who liked it, and they slowed the tempo down for their version. The Greenbrier Boys released it in 1966 on their album, which was titled Better Late Than Never. So far as I know, Nesmith himself didn't record the song until 1972, but there's a little bit of a twist there that I'll get to in a minute. See the forest for the trees, and gal, 
Better Late Than Never was the Greenbrier Boys' last album, and so far as I know, their albums never achieved much commercial success, although as a live act, they were pretty popular with the bluegrass crowd. Okay, so I mentioned that Mike Nesmith didn't record the song himself until 1972, but he did perform it for comic effect on an episode of The Monkees. In the episode titled Too Many Girls, Davey has a girlfriend named Fern, whose mother is very manipulative. Fern enters a talent contest, and the other three monkeys enter the contest in order to give each other time to sabotage Fern's act. Our next contestant on your TV amateur hour is a very gifted folk singer, and here he is, Billy Roy Hotstetter. If the laugh track appears to be operating in odd places, it's because Mike is also making faces while he's performing, uh, such as winking at the TV camera after singing the line, every time you make eyes at me. Also, you know, laugh track. So why didn't the monkeys play it? Well, it's not for lack of trying on Nesmith's part. Like the other performers in the band, he was a little bit dismayed to learn that session musicians would be playing on the albums and that the songs would be written by other songwriters. But he did bring this song, among many others, to the table. According to an interview he did in uh, 1971, he was told that the song was a stiff and it needed a hook. So, let's get to the version that actually became a hit, and that would be The Stone Ponies. And here's the dirty secret. While the track is credited to that band, the fact is, Linda Ronstadt is the only one of The Stone Ponies who actually appears on that track. The original version of the song sounded a lot like the Greenbrier Boys version, and you can find recordings of their live performances that they that did sound that way. But producer Nick Vanette uh, thought that there was a hit potential in the song, and he suggested that an arranger come in and redo the track. Consequently, all of the male, ba male band members were essentially pushed out of the studio and different musicians brought in. Jimmy Bond, who played bass on the record, uh, did the arranging, and the other musicians included Alviola on guitar, as well as Bernie Leadon, a future co-founder of the Eagles. Uh, Jim Gordon played the drums, Sid Sharp was in charge of the strings, and it was Don Randy who played the harpsichord, much of which was improvised during the recording session. And if you listen to the album version of the song, that harpsichord section is longer and there's a different stereo mix than on the single. And here's an interesting coincidence, Jim Gordon and Don Randy also played on many of the Monkees recordings. Different Drum is a typical It's Not You, It's Me breakup song, and of course, Ronstadt switched the genders for her recording, with the exception of describing the guy as pretty. But it's basically a relationship in which one person wants to settle down, but the narrator wants to remain free. Ronstadt has said repeatedly in interviews that she was confused by the new approach to the song, and she only had one run-through before recording it. Uh, even just a few years ago, in 2013, she interviewed that she's hearing what she described as fear and a lack of confidence in her performance, but to my ears, that's the sound that gives the song its heartbreak factor. She loves the guy, but she knows that the relationship is ultimately going to end in disaster. So you know what? Let's just rip the Band-Aid off now. 
In that same 2013 article, Nesmith has said much the same thing, that there's a level of passion that she injected into the song that wasn't originally there. But I'm going to add in my own observation that Ronstadt is often critical of her recorded performances, perhaps not seeing some of the nuances that we as listeners are picking up. In fact, I think it unnerves her a little bit when people pick up on things that she hadn't necessarily intended. We hear the heartbreak or maybe even the early stirrings of the women's liberation movement uh, in different drum, but she hears the fear and the lack of confidence that perhaps she felt that day. Different Drum was released in uh, September of 1967, and it peaked at number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart at the end of January 1968. It was also a top 30 hit in Canada and a top 10 song in Australia and in New Zealand. Its success meant the beginning of the end for the Stone Ponies, especially since the 45 label reads Stone Ponies and then underneath in smaller type featuring Linda Ronstadt, because Capitol Records was clearly still pushing hard for Ronstadt to break out as a solo act. Now, to be fair... Linda Ronstadt's musicals tapes was also moving away from the rest of the band, and by the time the third album came around, the Stone Ponies weren't even on Capitol's radar. Ronstadt wound up paying for everything to put that album together, and she found herself deep in the red financially before her solo career really got underway. The song has been covered many times, including by Susanna Hoffs, Carrie Underwood, and the Lemonheads, and of course there's Nesmith's version essentially covering himself on the album and the hits just keep on coming well you and i travel to the beat of a different drum can't you tell by the way i wrong every time you make eyes at me Nesmith's version also has a fourth verse that uh, isn't usually heard but one of the things i've noticed among the covers is that it's usually a female lead performing even though the song was originally written as a man-to-woman conversation. Now don't get me wrong, it's not that I knock it It's just that I am not in the market for a girl who wants to love only me And now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Way back when, I asked you to identify two musicians who died in the same apartment four years apart and to identify the famous owner of that apartment. Well, on July 29th, 1974, Mama Cass Elliot had a heart attack and died. She had gotten into a cycle of gaining and losing a lot of weight, and that weakened the heart muscle to the point of failure. That rumor about a ham sandwich? Yeah, there was a sandwich by her bedside, but she had never touched it. And then four years later, on September 7th, 1978, it was Keith Moon who died in that same apartment from an overdose of the anti-alcohol drug uh, clomethiazole. And the person who owned that apartment was Harry Nilsson, the coconut man, who later sold the place to Keith Moon's bandmate, Pete Townsend. And that's a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're liking the show, please take the time to share it and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram. Yes, I'm on the Instagram now at howgooditispod. 
You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod, or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thank you, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is in the year 2525. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next time. Bye.